Well, good morning, Calvary Church. Uh, my name is Mark Scop, and I'm on pastoral staff here, and I am the uh, pastoral staff for young adults and college. And so real quick, I want to make a plug. Uh, Tuesday nights, we meet every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. And so if you are kind of in that age range of 18 to 30, if you're a young adult or if you're uh, in a career or if you're in college, we would love to see you on Tuesday nights. Maybe you've been here for a while and you haven't made your way down there. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on, and we're just trying to build community. We're trying to worship together and, and really dive into to each other's lives. And so uh, I would love to get to know you maybe after the service or on a Tuesday night uh, at 8 p.m. down in 208, down at the end of the hall there. So as we get into the text tonight, we're going to be in, or this morning, I'm usually teaching at night on Tuesday nights, but uh, this morning, Revelation chapter 8. And so you can open up with me Revelation chapter 8, which is 995 in the Bible in front of you in the pews. But before we do that, the last couple of weeks... Pastor Jim two weeks ago, Pastor Tom last week mentioned in Revelation 6 and 7 that we, we hear a lot of suffering happening, happening in these texts. We hear a lot of suffering coming out of those first six seals being opened in chapter 6. And then last week we talked about it even in chapter 7 as the 144,000 were sealed. But this week we're going to see it in a unique way in chapter 8. And I think the suffering that we've seen in the past, we talked about as believers, sometimes we suffer for the sake of those around us. We suffer so that others may even see Christ in us. And as we look at suffering and as we engage with it, the, the thing that's been brought to my attention, even after teaching a, a couple of services of people coming up, is everybody experiences suffering at, at one point or another. Everybody will walk through a season where they feel as though they're maybe distant from God or, or maybe they're feeling uh, suffering in some degree because we are living in a fallen world and we all need a savior. And so as we open up to chapter eight, we're gonna be reading Revelation chapter eight, verse one. And today we're actually only gonna be focusing on one verse. And I know for some of us, uh, like, okay, hold on a second. But if we understand this one verse, I believe that this one verse sets us up for the next seven or eight chapters, right? The, the seventh seal is about to be broken and what happens in the seventh seal goes on for a few chapters here. And so I, I hope that we can see and understand this morning that this verse is big. There's a lot happening here just in this one moment that will set us up for weeks to come. So let's read it together. Revelation 8 verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And when I teach, I like to kind of give a, a big point or a big idea. And the big idea this morning is that the silence of God deserves our full attention. The silence that is happening here deserves the full weight of our attention. Because I think that we can, get, we can get caught up at times when we're reading through God's word, we can skim over verses or we can just kind of hear, oh man, there's silence in heaven for about half an hour uh, and then boom, into the seventh seal that takes, I mean, it takes a weight, right? But I want us to take pause here because I believe that there's something happening unique that doesn't happen anywhere else in the Bible. There's this pause and there's this silence. 
And I think it's so unique because up until this point, what do we hear in heaven? Heaven is noisy. Heaven is loud. There's all these things going on in heaven. And it's not just this place of like, I think sometimes we think of heaven very like calm, collected, right? Like it's supposed to be almost like religious experience. But what we see in heaven is vastly different in the scriptures. Even in the chapters that we've been looking at in the last few weeks, we look at Revelation 4, 5. It says, sounds and peals of thunder are rolling through the heavens. That's not quiet. Revelation 4, 8, the four living creatures did not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Revelation 4.11, the 24 elders adding their songs of praise say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation 5.2, it says, Strong angels proclaim with a loud voice. What do they say? Who is worthy to open the book and to break the seals? A little further down in Revelation 5, 11 and 13, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and with the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and to the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb to be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Last week, Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne. Then before the lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Revelation 8, 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I don't know about you, but when all this praise and all this worship and all this singing and all these voices are proclaiming God's glory over and over, day and night, 24-7, this is coming, 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 and then boom, there is silence in heaven for about half an hour. I think that should give us pause. It should make us stop and think, what's, what's happening here? Why is there silence? What's going on that would bring such noise to a silence? It seems that we ought to take notice that something drastic is happening here. Something drastic is taking place and God is sending a message not only to you and I as we read this today, but he's sending a message to all of the hosts of heaven as he silences them. Because if God demands silence from angels, and he demands silence from the thrones of the elders, and he demands silence from all of creation, then this silence, I believe it means something. I believe that there's something taking place here that means something that we should be listening to I believe that this silence here is for the benefit of John who is seeing this vision and writing this down. And I believe it's for the benefit of you and I that as we listen and as we see in God's word, something's taking place here. 
And I really think it's because something is, is coming that, that's a little bit hard to swallow. This is the silence before the storm, right? This is the, the quiet before we see the end result. There's something happening here in this silence. I want to ask you for a second, as we take this text and then we step away for a second, have you experienced silence? And I'm not just talking about a physical silence of, of the quiet of a, of a pin drop. I'm talking about the silence from God. Have you experienced silence in a, in a time in your life when you felt like, man, I feel like I might be stepping into a time of suffering and in this suffering, I'm not hearing from God as clearly as I would like. I feel like there's a little bit of silence going on. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been wrestling with God for years. I desire to be married. I desire to be in a relationship. God, I, I'm looking for a spouse and I, I want to have that companionship and I want to experience that. But God, you have not brought me into that position to be married. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're wrestling with God because the cancer has returned. And you thought that the remission was something that was, that was final and you were moving forward with your life. And, and as the, the diagnosis came forward, you're crying out to God and you're saying, God, what are you doing? And you're feeling as though God is silent in this moment. A few years ago, my wife and I decided that we were going to adopt and as we were walking through this process, we found an agency that we really loved. We loved the, their holistic kind of idea of caring for mothers and children. It was actually a crisis pregnancy center in Memphis, Tennessee that offers moms an option of, of adoption. And so we, we were like, man, we're totally on board. We went through the process of, of filling out all of the home study things. And if you know anything about home studies, home studies typically take anywhere from a month to three months, depending on how fast you love paperwork and things like that, and how fast, uh, you know, you can get a background check or what kind of criminal you are. Um, so we, we get our home study done and we are awaiting family. And what that means is that our profile will then be shown to mothers. And we sat there and we waited and we waited and we waited. We heard emails every once in a while, but nothing really came of them. And it was a Monday morning that I was at work and I was interacting with some things and some crazy stuff was happening in, in my job. And I get this call and it's, hey, there's a mother that's, that's chosen you. Uh, her baby is due on Saturday um, in Memphis, Tennessee. And at this time I was in living in Fort Myers, Florida. So it's about 13, 14 hour drive. I'm like, okay, okay, we can do this. Oh, and by the way, I'm so sorry. I, I kind of let this lapse, but your home study expires tomorrow. So they're only good for a year if you don't know. And so I'm sitting on the phone like, okay, what do I need to do? Well, it's, it shouldn't take that long. You just need an update, right? So an update is a little bit quicker than getting the home study done, right? It's just them kind of renewing, making sure you're, you're safe, your home is still safe. All right, I'll call my social worker. My social worker had retired, meaning that I couldn't get an update from that social worker. I needed a whole new home study. By this time, it's Tuesday. My wife and I are kind of frantic here. We need a whole new home study. The baby is due on Saturday. We, it's gonna take us an hour, uh, at least a day to get there and we can't leave until our home study's done. So we start praying, God, do a miracle, right? Just do a miracle. 
And so as we are talking with a different agency, they said the fastest we've ever seen this done is 48 hours. Or I mean, sorry, not 48 hours, uh, four days. God did a miracle. We were done in 48 hours. We had to have 20 hours of online training and we had just completed a course at our church unknowingly that this was 18 and a half hours of that training. We were able to watch a couple videos online and get the rest of that training. Boom, we are done. We are on the way. By Friday afternoon, we're traveling up to Memphis, Tennessee, and we're going to Memphis, and we're, I mean, we're excited, we're nervous, and we put on Instagram, hey, traveling to, to uh, Memphis, Tennessee, super excited to be adopting. And some friends that we haven't talked to in 10 years from college out in California, hey, we live in Memphis, Tennessee, you should come stay with us. I'm Dutch, that's free. Miracle number two, right? Miracle number two, free housing, yes. This is gonna cost us hundreds of dollars to stay like, you know, weeks in a hotel, a free house, yes, this is great. So we get there. We stay with these friends. They've actually adopted from overseas a couple years earlier. They're all for us. They've been praying for us. Uh, We are so excited. Sunday night, a baby boy is born. We go to visit him in the hospital and we're nervous. We don't know what to expect. And we get there and we hold him. We name him Micah John Scop. And we're excited, right? We hold him for a couple of hours. We give him back to the nurse. We go home to our other kids who are waiting with our friends. And and the next morning we're coming back to the hospital. But before we leave, we get a call from our agency. And they say, hold on. The mother's having second thoughts. Her boyfriend, who is the father, we've actually found out he's, he's pretty abusive. They're homeless right now, and she's actually lost custody of her other kids because of him. And so just pray that, that something happens, that, that she's able to still move forward. Two hours later, we're sitting in the parking lot of a TJ Maxx because we are buying some baby clothes, and we get the call. She's changed her mind. Mike is going to be going straight into foster care. What? Why? In that moment, I'm thinking, God, what are you doing here? Is this like a a funny little story that we're going to tell later on? What's going on? We actually waited in Memphis for three days praying that God would do a miracle to change hearts and minds. And he didn't. He was silent. Our hearts were broken. And I'll be honest, I was angry. I was frustrated, I was, I was bitter, it was creeping into my heart, and I was like, God, what are you doing here? Why? What is going on here? What, this is not what is, what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to be going home with a baby, and instead we drove 14 hours home, crying and weeping, wondering what God was doing in our story. Why was God being silent? And I think when we think of silence, we often get this picture that God is distant or God is neglectful or he doesn't seem to care. But my challenge this morning is to see the silence through a different lens. Because although we don't often see it in the midst of it, God's silence always has purpose. There's always a reason for a silence. And the big idea, the silence of God deserves our full attention is that sometimes God in the silence is teaching us something because silence, I was, this was brought to my attention earlier today. Somebody said that silence always has to happen in order for us to listen. You can't listen unless you are silent. 
right? When somebody's talking back and forth, you can't talk over each other. You don't hear. Sometimes you have to be silent and you just have to listen to what God is trying to do. And most often what I've found as I've searched through scripture and I've walked through life is that God was not silent because he was being mysterious or because he was coming up with a plan or because he was thinking. God is silent because I needed to step into a new season of faith. I needed to take a new opportunity to listen. I needed to have a new season of hope that God was going to teach me in. The silence we see in Revelation 8.1 is a very drastic change from the volumes of praise that we are hearing, right? It's a very drastic and cold change from the praises of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what is God doing in this moment? Well, he's about to, he opens this seventh seal, which is going to, which is going to spill forth untold destruction, which has never been seen before and will never be seen after. This silence is bringing about the full weight of wrath that is about to be poured out in the final judgment. This mention of silence is the final silence that heaven will ever see. And so as we think about this, and as I think about the silence in our own lives, and I think about the silence that's being taken here in this moment, there's two different kinds of interactions that are going on here. Because I think sometimes in our silence, we say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you not speaking? And in the silence here, God is saying, there is silence here because I'm working things out. And here's the thing. It's interesting that time is mentioned. There was silence for about half an hour. The reality is that heaven is outside of space and time. There is no time when it comes to God. But yet John mentions this for our benefit and we see this for our benefit that there's a half hour of silence here, right? And so this half hour of silence is an opportunity for all of creation to pause and see that God is working. Because I believe that all creation has groaned and cried out, God, what are you doing in the midst of the, the, the racism and the unrest that we see. God, what are you doing in the midst of, on behalf of the unborn child and the, the told countless numbers that have been aborted? What are you doing in these moments? And God is saying, I have a plan. I have a purpose. And although you do not see it, that does not mean that it is not there. I think sometimes we think that this silence means that God is distant. He doesn't see us. He doesn't care. He just doesn't want anything to do with it. No, this silence is for us to listen into what God is teaching us in this moment and for us to kind of rest and, and dive into a deeper place. I was reading in a, in a Bible study earlier this week in Habakkuk and there's a quote that stood out to me, Christian Schumacher says this, at some point in our lives, we will have to reconcile our theology and our experience. We will have to wrestle with the evil in the world when we serve a good God. This is exactly what Habakkuk is about. And in those moments when we don't understand where God is or what he is doing, we will be tempted to change our theology to align with what is happening in the world. Do we not see that? 
that we just want to change our theology. Well, that's too hard to believe, so I'm going to change it to do this over here. That, man, my God doesn't do that. And so we change and shift to align what's easier. But instead, and in those moments, we must trust or we must stand strong in the truth of the word of God and the goodness of his character. Listen, in those moments, we must not interpret God's word through the lens of our circumstances, but we must interpret our circumstances through the lens of God's word. And ultimately, it is in those moments that we must trust the sovereign hand of God is at work or that is working in ways we cannot see. See, in the midst of our questioning, we have to be reminded that God is sovereign. And what does God's sovereignty mean? It means that he is all powerful and that he sees every possible scenario and he does everything for his glory and for our good. He does not do things just to kind of willy-nilly do them and see what happens. He doesn't roll dice. God is perfectly and precisely planned. And everything that we experience is for our good and for his glory. And if his word is true, then he loves his creation and will avenge his creation for the glory of his name. And just because we don't see it right here, right now, and we don't have it in the moment, does not mean that it is not true. So we trust with what Paul says in Romans 12, 19. He says, do not take a revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't misunderstand God's silence as ignorance or apathy or neglect, but rather trust God's silence as sovereignty. When I first read this passage and when I was thinking about silence and I was thinking about how God works these things out, there was a a story in the Bible that came directly to mind of one who stood in silence and this one had every reason and every right to speak up. And yet Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate and let the accusers come and let the false accusations roll. And he stood silent, trusting that the Father had a good and perfect plan. We read in Matthew 27, 11 through 14, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, I am the king of the Jews. Let me show you the legions of angels who will come down and fight on my behalf who you cannot stand before. You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? As though Jesus is not present. But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus, who is God, makes no reply because he trusts the Father in this moment. Earlier in the garden, what does he say? He says, if it is your will, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus does this as an example to you and me, that when you're feeling distant from God, Don't run to the feelings and the comforts of this world. Run to the Father who knows exactly what is coming and who has given you the sovereign understanding that he is present in this moment. Maybe for you, the silence you feel is meant for you to hope in what you cannot see. 
and to know that God does see. Maybe it's in this moment you see silence does not mean God does not see our struggle. Simply, it means that God sees our struggle more clearly than we do. And he's worked out this silence for a purpose. And he said, it is my will that you walk through this silence in this moment. And I know that it's hard to trust in those moments. But I also believe that when we embrace the silence, we get to join with the Father in a deeper communion. Because our trust has gone beyond what we can see and what we can touch and what we can explain. It is in those moments that we get to step back and let God work and see his will revealed in the plan. I don't know about you, but when I feel healthy and I feel energetic, right? I feel like I can do things without anybody's help. But when I feel sick, or maybe I have the flu, it's like, honey, can you get my water? It's right over there. I just don't, I don't feel like I can get up right now. Right? Like, when we're at the end of ourselves, it's really easy to ask for help. When things are going well, right, we feel like I can do this myself. And sometimes God wants to bring us into this silence so that we actually look to him. But sometimes he wants to get us into this silence where he's saying, I need you to listen to me. I need you to pause for a second. I need you to get to the end of your rope and I need you to just pause and listen. I hear you've been crying out. I'm here. I understand it. I see it. I see all that's going on, but I need you to listen in the midst of your trials and your suffering. You see, God sees our suffering. He sees the sickness or anything else for that matter. God is not absent or distant. He's present because he loves us and he sees us. Romans 8, 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither heights nor depths nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if nothing can separate us, then not even the silence can separate us from the love that Christ has for us. Not even the suffering or the sickness or the pain or the questions. Not even the bitterness or the frustration that we might feel. These things don't separate us from God. I believe they bring us closer to him. Because when we get to the end of ourselves, we start to release the control. The silence that we see described in Revelation 8.1, I believe, is a call to faith. Right? Why would Jesus silence the angels and the elders and the nations and all those who see his glory on full? It's not like Jesus is revving up to open up the seal. It's not like he's like, well, hold on, I got to double check my plan. Everybody be quiet. I got to think. Jesus knows what he's doing and he's calling us to attention because this silence demands our attention. And so we maybe take that same application in our lives and I want to encourage you in this moment. You might be sitting in this, in this sanctuary right now and you're struggling and you're wrestling and you're struggling with the belief of what God is doing in your life. I don't know if I see what's going on in the silence. I can't hear what's happening. And I know I know it's difficult and it feels weighty and it feels impossible at times. 
I know the wrestling, but I want to encourage you to take pause and release your fears in this silence. And what does that mean? Well, the tape that's playing in our heads over and over, what if I don't get better? What if I can't find a spouse? What if I never have a child? What if I lose my house? What if I don't find another job? What if I can't provide for my family? We need to allow that to just be silent and trust that the Lord wants to minister to us in the silence. Lay it before the Lord. And the answer might not come today. It might not come tomorrow. It might not come next month. It might not come next year. But in that time, God will be working out your faith as you trust him and as you rely on him. And I can't and may, it won't make any guarantees, but I know that when I've seen God show up in my life, when I've seen him do miraculous things, it's when I've come to the end of my rope and I can't do it anymore and I, I, can't, I can't fake it anymore and I just have to be real with God and just, God, I, hear, it's, I can't do it. The reality is there's nothing that I had control over in this adoption story. Like I couldn't, I couldn't you know, slip somebody a, a 10 and be like, hey, let's change something, right? Let's, let's do, like, let me talk to, I wasn't actually even able to talk with the mother. We weren't actually even able to send her any notes. We never even got to see her. It, we couldn't sit and beg with her and plead with her, please don't make this decision. But the thing is, although God felt like he was silent for a little over a year past that, I am praising the Lord that six weeks ago, I adopted a son. And he was, he was really good. He slept through the whole second service. He's only six weeks old. And the reality is, is it wasn't our plan. God didn't use our agency. He actually used a friend and we had a private adoption that happened six weeks ago. And the thing is that God worked all these things out in the midst of the silence. We talked with our agency over and over. We got the updates and they said, man, we're not doing a lot of adoptions right now. We don't know what's going on here. We usually have quite a few and, and we were actually at the top of the waiting list and still nothing. And here's the thing, eight years ago, there was a mother who walked through the church that I used to work at in Des Moines, Iowa. And it was that same mother that now eight years later decided to give us her baby. She knew that Megan and I were desiring to adopt and she wanted this child to be raised in a Christian home. And sadly, this child's father did not know Jesus and she felt like, I, I just cannot do this on my own. And so she made a super brave decision to allow us to let her child come into our home. And the thing is, there was nothing we could do to control any of it. There was nothing we could do to, there was, there was definitely times where we wrestled back and forth. All right, like we don't want to get our hopes up. We don't know what's going to happen. This could change at the drop of a hat. Like we just, we want to be waiting and we want to pray and we want to wait with expectation. But God is going to do what God is going to do. And may we trust that his will is sovereign. I know that some of you are waiting 
and you've waited far longer than we have. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that the Lord does not stay silent forever. As we see here in Revelation 8.1, this is actually the final silence that we will ever see. This is the final judgment that we will see and we will encounter. This is the last time that the Lord will stay silent in the midst of sin, in the midst of evil. And after this moment, when the seventh seal is open and the destruction is laid out and the, the Lord has come and the final time is here, we will stay in heaven forever and ever and ever and we will get to worship the Father on high. And so my encouragement as we close is to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and know that he sees you where you are. He sees your suffering and he is not absent in the silence. He wants to minister to you in the silence. And may your suffering for this time be a testimony of God's faithfulness in your life. May you be a living testimony to those you interact with that yes, I'm suffering through this season, but God is still good. I'm suffering through this season, but my Lord knows what he's doing. I'm suffering in this season, but I trust in one who is capable at any moment to end this suffering. May we give our full attention to the silence and trust that the Lord is working it for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, may we trust you. May, you. may we trust you when we do not see. May we trust you when we cannot touch. May we trust you when we do not feel. But God, may we reconcile the facts of your word and the truth of your word over the feelings that sometimes skew our emotions. Oh Lord, may our hearts be drawn to you. May our affections be drawn to you even in the silence. May you open the ears of our heart to trust you to thrive in obedience when we do not see. Lord, may we know that you as sovereign God see all things and you have a plan for our future, Lord. May we trust you in that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.